Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. And today we're wrapping up our summer tour of historical instrument makers with a more modern maker of a more obscure instrument. That's right. We'll be looking into the life of Charles Gerard Kahn and his innovations specifically to the coronet, but also the brass family in general that have left a lasting legacy as a quality brand to this day. Now, as a note, we're not sponsored in any way by Con Selmer. We just want to teach you about a figure of musical history whose name still happens to be used on instruments newly produced today. Charles Gerard Kahn was born in Phelps, New York in 1844. When he was seven years old, Kahn's family relocated to Elkhart, Indiana. In this town, Charles attended public school, called the Common Schools during the 1800s, but on the side, he also learned to play the coronet, and this proved to be a good skill to have as a young man, as the Civil War caused him to enlist in the Union Army. He was only 17 when enlisted, but due to his prowess on the instrument, he was assigned to a regimental band. Within a few years, Khan became elevated to the rank of captain. During the war, he was injured and captured by the Confederates. Though the end of the war found him in captivity, during his imprisonment, he actually escaped not once, but twice. Wow. At the end of the Civil War in 1865, Khan left the army via honorable discharge. Now, at this point, Khan was only 21 years old, with countless opportunities for a career before him. So what did he do? Well, he first returned to Elkhart, where his family still lived, and then the intrepid young cornetist established himself as an entrepreneur. Yes, this innovative musician became well-known in Elkhart as the local grocer and baker. Excellent. He also had some fun hobbies that doubled his side jobs, and that he was skilled at replating silverware and also had a knack for crafting rubber stamps. I wonder if due to his eclectic business integration, he was ever accused of being a con man. Good one. (laughs) But he still found time to play his cornet in the town's concert band. But it wasn't all fun and games for Khan. Apparently, the young Khan got into a brawl outside of a local tavern, and the poor man was injured yet again, and some aspect of the fight left Khan with a split upper lip, so when he attempted to play his cornet, it caused him extreme discomfort. Khan, however, was a smart cookie, and he really did love his coronet, so he was going to find a way to keep playing. So remember Khan's little hobbies of stamp making and silver plating? These came in handy. Khan designed and executed a rubber-rimmed cornet mouthpiece that allowed him to again comfortably play this instrument. Then he hypothesized that this new style of mouthpiece would be beneficial not only to him, but to many cornet players. So in 1875, he patented his design and successfully produced his invention for mass consumption. 
This was the start of his new business venture. In 1876, Kahn became partners with British brass instrument maker Eugene Dupont, and the two partners officially opened Kahn and Dupont brand. At first, they just made coronets in the back of Kahn's grocery store. However, as they became better and more well-known makers, Kahn purchased a vacant local factory in Elkhart that allowed for expansion. Kahn's business grew and more makers from Europe joined the team. Quality instruments were turned out daily. Unfortunately, the business relationship with DuPont broke down in 1879, but that didn't seem to put a damper on production at all. Interestingly, his success caused a boom in other instrument factories moving into Elkhart. At its height, the town hosted over 50 instrument factories, earning its name as the band instrument capital of the world. <laughs> with his instrument factory running at full speed, Kahn became a leader in the Elkhart community. He was elected mayor in 1880. Then, in 1882, he helped organize the Regiment of the Artillery in the Indiana Legion, where he was awarded the title of Colonel. In 1888, he won an election to the Indiana House of Representatives. Then, in 1889, he started the Elkhart Daily Truth, a newspaper that still runs to this day. And finally, in 1892, he was elected as an Indiana representative to the U.S. House of Representatives. He certainly had his hands in lots of pies. <laughs> but through it all, Cotton kept up with his instrument factory. His manufacturing success led him to expand further, with a new branch opening in Massachusetts in 1887. Both branches of the Kahn Company worked to turn out the Wonder line of instruments. Included in this line were not just cornets, but also the rest of the brass family, woodwinds, string instruments, and portable reed organs. And we now see Kahn's inventor's mind coming back into play. He seemed to have had a love of experimental or new instruments. And from some of these experiments, Kahn produced the first American-made saxophones, and he also worked directly with John Philip Sousa to create the first sousaphone. This factory also created a monstrosity that is no longer produced and seems more like a joke to begin with, called the immensophone. <laughs> this was a brass instrument that had a bore diameter of 12 feet and a length of 35. There seems to be no leftover photo evidence of this marvel, but if it could produce any sound at all, I'm sure it would have been an immense amount of noise. In 1915, Kahn retired and sold the company to Carl Diamond Greenleaf. Kahn himself then left for California, where he lived the rest of his days until he died in 1931. Luckily, Greenleaf didn't let the name of Kahn decline. He, and later his son Leland Greenleaf, continued to expand the company and provide innovation to the production and quality of band instruments. One of the greatest contributions the Kahn Company made was in the 1950s when they created a new line of brass instruments called the Constellation Line. Ah. <laughs> and it was this kind of naming innovation that really kept the company on the forefront of quality. <laughs> The Kahn Company survived a few more ownerships, and as of 2002, their original Elkhart division merged with Selmer to create the current Kahn Selmer Corporation, which still churns out top-quality band instruments of all types. Selmer 
So let's talk about the instrument that started it all, the coronet. You've probably heard the word coronet, and you might have maybe thought it was just a fancy term for trumpet. And in a way, it kind of is. However, we'll go into some details of how the coronet, trumpet, and even the flugelhorn are very different instruments. And much to my particular distaste, the spelling of this word is actually very important. The instrument we're talking about today is spelled C-O-R-N-E-T, as opposed to the same word but with two T's at the end, because the 2T version refers to a Renaissance or early Baroque instrument that was actually made of wood with finger holes like a recorder, but the mouthpiece of it was like that of a trumpet. So not a reed like other similar woodwind instruments of the time. Again, that's not the instrument we're talking about today. So the 1T cornet is a true modern brass instrument. What differentiates it from a trumpet is the style of its bore, meaning the overall shape of the piping it's made of. So if you were to unravel the trumpet and a cornet and lay the respective pipes side by side, you'd be able to see that until you near the end of the bell, the trumpet is basically entirely cylindrical. The cornet, however, is slightly cylindrical to begin with, but gradually increases in size and it begins to flare out, meaning it is a conical instrument. To go even further, the instrument known as the flugelhorn is even less cylindrical and more conical than even the cornet. So what's the big deal? All of these instruments play in the same range and even transpose into the same B-flat key. So it all has to do actually with sound quality. The more strictly cylindrical an instrument is, the more sharp and direct its resulting sound is. Adding in a gradual conicalness to the piping gives instruments a warmer sound. In addition, the conical bore makes the instrument easier to play. Back in the Baroque era, when instruments were already a bit difficult to get in tune and produce a pleasing sound, it was far better for a performer to not have to struggle to play their instrument. So here are some excerpts of a trumpet and a cornet to help you hear the difference between the two instruments. We'll start with the trumpet. Here's the cornet. And for some time, cornets were really the high brass instrument of choice. However, due to the difference in sound quality that trumpets and cornets can achieve, Composers used to actually write separate parts designated for trumpet or cornet. This gradually began to change in the late Romantic era, and definitely in the modern era. Different styles of music, like jazz, tend to use trumpets more often than cornets. With these type of musical styles becoming more popular, it was more likely that a musician would just own a trumpet if they could only have either a trumpet or cornet. In many cases, you'll see music, particularly wind ensemble music, written with the split trumpet and coronet parts, yet all the parts will still be played on trumpet. 
The sound color will of course not be quite what the composer had in mind, but the trumpet and coronet are close enough in nature that the audience will still be able to enjoy the music. In contrast, in British-style brass bands, the coronet is still given its honored position. A band made up entirely of brass instruments would want as much tone color diversity as possible, so they maintained that coronet parts should be played on the coronet instruments. So we hope you've enjoyed this look at Khan and his cornet this week on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. We've certainly enjoyed spreading our wings out from our more familiar woodwind territory and learning about other members of the instrument world. So this is the last time for a little while that we're going to be doing these instrument maker series, but rest assured, they will be back. And if there's anything that you want to hear in a profile on, please let us know at uh, coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed these makers kind of episodes and you'd like to share them with a friend, we, of course, welcome you to do that. Also, be sure to go on to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts and rate our our episodes and even leave a review if you so choose. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Fatherland by John Hartman and Indian Drug and Prague by Theodore Hook were performed by Willie Budd and Frank Hongen. Mahler Symphony No. 5 Movement 1 was performed by the Waterloo Cedar Falls Symphony conducted by Jason Weinberger. You can find the Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to give us a rating, leave a review, and subscribe to get new episodes automatically delivered to your device. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. <laughs>